Welcome everyone to the Food, Farms, and Chefs radio show with restaurant industry author Kevin Wilson, highly acclaimed chef Gene Blum, and food photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Join them as they interview the biggest names in the restaurant industry, tell you about the latest food trends, and give you recipes and cooking tips too. So let's get the show started. Welcome to our listeners around the world via the podcast. Our listeners on our FM station in New York and our listeners on our two Philadelphia radio stations. It's Tuesday evening drive time for you. We have an outstanding show today. So let's get this great show started. Everyone, uh, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. And for our fans, I want to introduce you to Tamara Ali Bay, who is the owner of Super Loa, which is a CBD dispensary that has two locations: one in Warminster and I believe one in Bella Kinwood. Tamara, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Now, um, you previously, or you may currently, still own your accounting firm as well. Uh, in addition to the two dispensaries that you have. Um, but what actually brought you from being an accountant to um, owning the CBD dispensary? So uh, I, I did close the accounting business down. What brought me to CBD was I was originally looking to open an adult use or recreational marijuana in New Jersey, but because of their strict residency laws and me being a Pennsylvania resident, I decided to take a stab at um, the CBD over here until Pennsylvania decides to um, legalize adult use in Pennsylvania. But it's, it's been great. I'm learning a lot, especially with all the benefits of CBD. So I'm enjoying the journey. You know, it's probably been quite a journey. Within a year, you decided to open up the second location. So how much success did you actually see in that first location and how rapidly? So the success has been, it's it's been gradual, but, but at a good pace. Um, an opportunity pretty much fell in my lap to open a second location. And so I decided to jump on that. And again, so far, so, so good. Um, now, I know that there's a lot of people, obviously it's becoming more popular CBD use and, and whatnot, but I do know that some people out there still don't know what the difference is between CBD and, you know, products that use um, THC in it. So can you tell our listeners who might be out there that don't know the, what the difference is and, you know, what the medicinal benefits are to using, you know, CBD-based products? The cannabis plant is actually where both CBD and THC or marijuana comes from. The benefits of, some of the benefits of CBD is the fact that a lot of the same chemical components are actually already found in our body. So with CBD, it basically just works with what's alongside with our bodies already. A lot of the benefits are, I mean, they range from helping with pain management, to helping with sleep, anxiety, uh, relaxation, even focusing. It really depends on the strain of CBD, similar to like THC or marijuana products. Um, each strain is going to give you kind of like a different benefit. But overall, anti-inflammation, like I said, help with relaxation and sleep. Yeah, because I know like me for one, I have chronic pain uh, 
my co-host Gene knows that. And you know, if you follow along, you'll you my uh, threads, you you might see sometimes I'll post about that. I know that CBD is a huge thing that you can utilize on a variety of ways. Right. Uh, what are some of the things that you know products that you offer and how you can utilize it that you know for best results for your body? So what a lot of people may not know, so similar to like marijuana, you can actually smoke CBD as well. So we have CBD flower. Um, again, one of the benefits is not only the the medicinal um, helping with medicinal reasons, but you know you're not going to fail a drug test if you do smoke CBD and you know kind of need that to help with relaxation or even pain. But in terms of products that we offer, so it is flour, it's tincture, or some people call it oil. We have gummies, of course. We have candies, we have CBD chocolates, lozenges, gum, as well as topical. So we have roll-ons, we have salves, we have creams, pretty much any way that you can think of to not only ingest, but use outside, we have them in our store. Also, I also want to highlight that we have products that are that cater to women specifically. For example, we have suppositories that help with menstrual relief. They can also help with, with back pain, as well as intimacy products that have that are cbd derived yeah um i know one of the biggest trends right now uh, that seems to be like increasing is chefs that are starting to you know like utilize cbd into their you know culinary creation um in order to kind of either have a positive benefit as far as relaxation is earned or you know just to enhance the entire experience uh i don't know if you ever like can sit, you know, step aside if you have any kind of like suggestions or like, oh, like a pamphlet or anything on like how to like utilize um, CBD oils uh, and products in within the food community, within how to like create um, either dishes or I've seen online on your online store, you also have some beverages that are include that. So yes. why don't you tell us a little bit about how people can incorporate, you know, CBD into their food products. So, right, you're right. So just like we have um, uh, our seltzered water as well as Delta ATs um, that, that come that are hemp derived or CBD derived. We also have, we carry what's called um, an isolate, which is like 99% pure CBD. It comes in a powder form. So we have customers that come in that purchase that, um, that do want to say, put it in their coffee or their tea, or even sprinkle it on top of their food. We also have customers that will buy the isolate because they want to make their own homemade creams with CBD. Um, so I would say the isolate is is very versatile in that way that you can you can ingest it and also use it in products. Okay. Now, from my understanding, you can take the flour and kind of um, like infuse it into either vinegar or um, something something else that's acidic or possibly like an oil and utilize mm -hmm. that oil then for cooking purposes. Is that something that, you know, you would recommend with the flowers that you, um, that you can purchase at your, at Superloa? So I would use that in small traces uh, because of the fact that it is pretty strong, the flower. Um, that's really interesting. I, I mean, I, I have read that too. I haven't had any 
any customers that have come in for that purpose. <laughs> they are still using it for for smoking um, or even in their bottle, you know, however they they choose to ingest it. But um, I would say use it in small traces okay. uh, just because of the potency of it. And we do carry many varied strains um, um, and within our store and, and online. Each strain will kind of tell you the purpose of it, whether it is for helping with focus, whether it's helping for relaxation. We also carry a, um, a new strain of CBD, which is called HHC. Okay. Um, it kind of gives you a similar, I would say, head high to like or psychedelic, psychedelic feel as like Delta 8 or Delta 9. Um, but has even smaller traces of THC in it. Um, so there are studies that show that it will not, um, it, it, it may not produce like, um, or, or have you fail any type of drug test. But of course, you know, we always tell our, our customers to just, you know, understand that it, it is a possibility, but it's, it's even smaller traces in Delta 8 or Delta 9. Um, now, off of the Delta-8, Delta-9, and HHC, can you go over, like, what each each of those are like, what, and what they do? So, the Delta-8 and Delta-9, um, they do have um, traces of THC, but still under the legal limit, which is federally regulated. Um, so, they have to be under 0.3% of THC. Um, so, THC is found in the cam- cannabis plant on the, the marijuana side, but in such small traces that we producers can't uh, manufacture it by itself. So it's typically what we would say hemp derived, meaning that it's usually, you know, a one-to-one ratio of CBD and THC um, because of such small traces, small doses of it that you have to kind of mix it with something else. Um, so because it is similar to, on marijuana, um, you know, if you were to ingest it or smoke it, however you take it, um, it, it is something that will come up on a drug test. So it's always good to keep that in mind if you, um, you know, if you are to, to purchase that. The good thing about Delta 8 and even CBD products in general, um, unlike the medical dispensaries, we don't require a um, medical card. So in our store, that's not something that we require. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, low grade enough where it's, you know, effective and it enhances the CBD, but it's not, you know, it'll still show up as a a positive result on a test. So, I mean, which is important for, for people to know, because if they don't know, like I'm, I, I wouldn't normally know any of that information, um, because I did not grow up indulging in such um, aspects of, of that. So, you know, but when CBD oils and CBD came out, I was super excited because of the chronic pain and knowing that it, it was, it alleviated that pain without the high, you know, that made a huge difference, um, you know, in, in my decision-making on whether or not to utilize the products. Uh, so, right. and, and that's why HHC, um, like I said, is a good alternative where you will still kind of get that like elevated relaxation, um, but very even even smaller traces of THC. Where, um, like I said, in in some studies, they show that it is not, it's not going to come up in a drug test. But again, we always caution our customers and just saying that 
this is what the studies show, but you still have to go in with caution. Yeah. And, um, and one of the things that I want to say too, to anybody who's listening out there, like I personally have never been a smoker. So yes, the, you do have the, the smoker, um, the flowers or whatever that you can smoke, but it's highly um, important to me that there's topical creams and, you know, the, the lotions and, and roll-ons and, you know, yes. things like, yeah, the tinctures and all of that, because it gives that option to, you know, utilize the CBD without having to worry about the, the smoking part of it. Because with asthma, with anything like mm-hmm. that, it makes a huge difference. And and we also have CBD teas, I forgot to mention, as well as honey sticks. Um, yeah, so we, we try to cater to everyone in whatever form good. they want. And um, I wanted to also uh, ask you, because there's a lot of people who are, you know, vegetarians and vegans out there that, you know, their dietary um, restrictions, you know, with anything that's like gummy or whatever, um, there's always like that concern. Is it, is it vegan friendly? Um, Do you have vegan friendly products? So all of our products are, are all natural. All of our gummies, except for our Delta 8 and Delta 9 gummies are vegan. Um, we also have a wide variety of kosher products as well. Oh, that's very good to hear. That's, you know, for, for anybody who's out there listening and that is interested in, you know, trying out CBD, you know, th- th- that's important for them to know. Um, mm-hmm. So say I was in a uh, completely new at um, walking into your store, would you be able to sit down and like have a consultation with um, an, like an individual that walked in, like cold calling kind of, I'm interested, what would be the, you know, what would be the product that I could use for X, Y, and Z? Would you ever consult with um, a yes. new? Yes, yes, we do a lot of, um, consulting and just kind of talking and understanding the customer's needs so that we can point them in the direct, in the right direction. All of our staff does also um, complete um, through a company called CBD Academy. They, they complete a certification to make sure that they have the, um, you know, general understanding of what CBD does, the benefits of it, as well as our products. And then we have ongoing continuing education. Which is good. Uh, So, with all of the products and whatnot that you offer, obviously you're limited because state by state, um, you can ship out or people can purchase online. Uh, how can they find you online and how can they find you in person? So the best place to find us is on our website, superloa.com. Um, as you mentioned, we have two locations. Our primary location, our storefront is at 301 Montgomery Avenue in Balakinwood, Pennsylvania. Our second and newest location, we've opened officially a week now, um, is inside the ShopRite in Warminster, Pennsylvania at 942 West Street Road. Um, At both locations, we offer local pickup. Now, the ShopRite location is a, a, we sell majority of of our items, but all of the items that are on our website are also sold at our Balakinwood location. Um, so as I mentioned, both locations, we do offer local pickup at Balakinwood. We also offer local delivery 
within five miles of Bellakinwood. Now, if you, if I was, if I went online and I was living in Warminster and wanted to pick up one of the products that you have in the Bellakinwood um, area or location, would I be able to arrange um, a pickup time for said product that wasn't at the ShopRite location? We would need at least 24 hours for that, but everything else that we, that we sell in Warminster is, is available for pickup within an hour. Okay. Um, so that's good to know too. Um, so where can we find you online? Uh, and, and, you know, what is the best number to, to reach you if they wanted to call and arrange for that 24 hour pickup? So in addition to our website, we're also on Instagram at CBD as well as Facebook, Superloa CBD. Um, our main number is 610-227-0331. All right. Thank you so much, Tamara, for joining us. And thank, thank you. you for, yeah. And thank you for such an in-depth discussion about CBD. Um, I hope to continue having you on Food Farms and Chefs, at, you know, especially when you continue opening up more locations. But thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Tune in to Food Farms and Chefs every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Evening Drive Time on Talk Radio WWDB and 97.5 FM HD2. We have a chef. Gene Blum, culinary educator, chef, consultant on vet management and food historian. Here for anything food and beverage related. You can find me across social media at ARPolicus or if you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor of our show, you can reach out to me at ARPolicus at gmail.com hi everyone i would love to welcome back tim witcher who is the chef of the wing kitchen um tim you are not just the a chef for the wing kitchen you are also an educator for you know students that are you know hopping into the culinary world so it's imperative that we continue to educate you know future chefs and future people in the hospitality business. So welcome to the show and thank you for all that you do educating the future of the culinary world. Well, thank you. You know, I love food farms and chefs. I love you guys. So thanks for having me back. Um, you know, it's finally getting back to normal um, somewhat after, you know, we're still in COVID, but after the crazy pandemic um, and then Justin lesson plans and stuff, you know how that is. And um, it's, it's kind of coming back to normal somewhat. So uh, I'm excited about that. My students have really excelled this year, which is wonderful. Um, I have a young lady that she's a junior. She's going to be a senior this year. And she won a uh, silver medal for FCCLA for culinary arts and then went to San Diego for nationals and won a silver also. So it's just exciting times. And um and I love it. I mean, these young people are so um, innovative. And when we think our boxes that we think in, they think so much far outside the box. It makes me excited. It makes me more creative also, just being around them, them sometimes. And instead of being really rigid, let them kind of be fluid, still give them the basis of things, but see what things they come up with and how their mind works is pretty incredible. It is. Uh, and I mean, I... I don't teach you know the future i'm not an educator 
Gene is an educator, so he gets to see that as well. Um, but I kind of just from knowing how people's mind, younger people's minds work, and you know, knowing that it's they're fresh out of the box and they can think, you know, hey, like, I right, let's try this and this and be, you know, innovative. Like, in the fact that you're open to that is is huge. Yeah, and, and the thing is, and um, and I had to. I don't know why I keep forgetting. I have to get both of you guys on my career advisory committee. So um, our school, in an effort to keep every program in our area and in, in our school current, we have an advisory committee. So we liaison with people that's in the industry on the cutting edge of things that's coming through. So now we can keep our programs current. So there's no need for me to keep teaching chicken marsala and beef bourguignon all year if there's nobody doing it in the industry. Um, so trying to figure out what the trends are and, um, and stay in the breadth of the trends and the technology. Um, so when our students do come out, they're prepared to go into the industry, um, you know, full steam ahead. I mean, it's, uh, it's just, I never thought I'd be a teacher. And, um, and it, it's so funny um, that when I started teaching, my daughter was just born and now she's going to be a senior. So I'm kind of emotional. Um, but when my old principal called me and said, listen, I want you to come home and I want you to teach, you know, culinary. I'm like, are you nuts? I'm not coming to high school and teaching kids. And uh, now, 18 years later, I love every bit of it. I'm still teaching and still running around cooking, but, you know, I'm still teaching, so it's wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, and, you know, um, on the note that you had a junior that went and won not one but two silver medals, um, I was going to also bounce off of that, you know, with with the environment that it that it is right now and everyone that I know in the restaurant and hospitality business and kind of the the gamut on all industries actually they're having staffing issues um but you yeah. kind of get everybody at the ground floor where you know you're getting a matriculated class that you've educated um and now knowing that you have the wing kitchen and you know you've moved into subaru park or subaru stadium um and you have uh your wing kitchen is is you know celebrating along with everybody else the philadelphia union wins but you know obviously there's a lot of fans that are going to get hungry during the games um what is right, it well, like, i hope so what is it like to have moved into that and you know with the graduating class classes that you have educated have you brought any of your students into that new location um yeah so in the the union state i don't have any graduates there but um when i first started the company and going through all these years until we had to um close down a couple of locations until the fall um my sous chefs my both my sous chefs were both former graduates um, so they know me, they, I know them, I know how their skill level is and how they've grown over the years. And, um, it is, it is great to be able to pull from that, from that, uh, that stock of, of good kids that I kind of know. Um, now that being said this year of my senior class, um, not many of those kids are going into the industry, which was kind of disheartening. Um, and I, I'm, I'm still not sure why yet, but I think they've been so, um, shooken up by the whole pandemic and missing a lot of school 
to think about other things, which is kind of, it kind of reflects on where the industry is now, you know, looking for help. But the bright side of it is my junior class coming through. There's a lot of kids in that junior class that's going to be seniors this year that are very interested in, in being into the industry. So, um, you know, some crops you come through that's not as interested or not as passionate about it, but then, you know, um, God always reminds you there's another crop that's behind it that wants to really do it. So I think the industry will be fine. It is tough. It's tough times. The cost of food is nuts right now, as everybody knows. Um, so it's a really delicate balance of menu pricing and staffing and, um, you know, and food cost, which is, uh, I think, an area that we've never been in before. You know, it's one thing managing food costs, but when the price of food changes dramatically from week to week, you know, how do you manage that kind of food cost? Especially being a small well, can company. Can you, in particular, with your menu, with, with the wing kitchen itself, and, you know, for years and years and years, chicken was this wonderful product because, one, it's so versatile, it picks up a lot of flavors, you can really create a lot of things mm -hmm. with it, but, two, it was inexpensive. And out today, yeah. <laughs> you're looking at the cost of chicken that are just astronomical. You know, yeah. what we used to pay for beef, we're paying for chicken. Yeah, you know, absolutely. How are you managing that? It's um, it's it's so crazy. And not only the price of chicken. Right? The price of chicken is crazy. But people think, think about, like, the price of fryer oil. Between all the locations and stands and things, I have, um, I'm going to say I have 12 fryers. And I have more than that in the food truck probably about 15 fryers all together. Um, a, a case of oil, and most fryers take about two you know, boxes of oil. It used to be $19, $20, and now it's almost $60 for one box of oil. That's almost three times the cost just in fryer oil, um, not including the chicken and the price of butter and dairy and to make the sauces. You know, it's one thing if we're buying the sauces all pre-made, but, you know, we hang our hat on, you know, making everything ourselves, so... If someone that goes into it and still trying to give a good price to our, you know, our, our base, our base customers. So um, it's a very delicate dance. But that's one of the reasons why we closed down the locations for the summer, and um, just opened up into now we're in Clement Park also, and we have the Union Stadium. Because um, those are, you know, captive audiences. But you know, during football season again, um, we're gonna open up again and probably do limited days. But you know, bring the flavors back. But we want really want to see where our price point needs to be at. Um, for us to be able to produce um, a, a good product. Because honestly, I'd rather not be open if I had to make shortcuts on the product itself. Um, and I saw people realize that because I'm very passionate about what I do and I want to put out, you know, the best product as possible. And if I can't do that for the good enough price point, I need to switch gears and do something else. Gotcha. Um, now, Speaking of um, doing something else, I not that it's anything new to you, but I do know that pr prior to us starting this this uh, interview, you had mentioned that you know you were prepping for a catering event. So um, that's something else that you know if people would like to indulge in some of your amazing foods. Um, that they can actually reach out to you for, you know, having you cater their events or cater their parties. Um, so tell us a little bit about that end of the spectrum um, as far as how, you know, what kinds of things that you offer through your catering. Absolutely. So um, one of the things, I mean, you have to follow me on Facebook where I'm Timothy Witcher and on Instagram is also Timothy Witcher and then TikTok where I act a little crazy. 
dash dot Stepwitch. But on any of those platforms, you can direct message me, and one of my team members will reach out to you, and we'll uh, come up with what we do. But not to toot my own horn, but we do all kinds of cuisines um, that we can do for any kind of party. If you want something custom, we can do that. If you just want a wing kitchen pop-up, old-school style, for some kind of um, pop-up, we can do that also. We've done all sort of things, um, you know, from North African to, you know, Southeast Asian and Fusion and, you know, all kinds of different stuff. So I, I pride myself on being a student of the game and really researching different uh, cuisines and, you know, making things authentic as we can be. Um, but, you know, we do all kinds of events. It could be from peanut butter jelly to, you know, lobster and caviar. We can do that for you. Um, but, again, this is the same thing. I think people, I'm not that they don't realize it, but, if you just look at the last few minutes of the supermarket and um, what your bill was and look at your basket, how much was in there, it's the same thing with the price that changes for catering right now. Just the, the prices just are, are crazy. So, um, and the prices are up more than, than they have been before, but you're going to get a very great product and, um, you know, and some wonderful goods. Yeah, you truly, and people, the other, the other aspect, you don't, you know, take into consideration, especially with your type of product, is packaging materials and how difficult, you know, things oh, like sustainable products and, and packaging materials. I know in a particular situation I deal with, with, uh, you know, dining services for a college, pizza boxes, pizza by the slice boxes. Yes. Yep. Waiting months to get that. You know, you can't get them. And then when you do get them, the prices are astronomical. And, you know, packaging materials today and, uh, you know, with the price of gas and everything, you know, going into that melt, what it is for that. So, you know, being a business like yours, you know, it's not people used to think, you know, you, you know, you're making great money, you're making great money. And today, you know, you're making, you know, one or 2% if you're doing that and, you know, what yeah. should be a, a good profit line. So, well, hats off to you for what you're doing there and in the catering aspect being so versatile because today that is what people want. They want, you know, very few people want a single cuisine when they're catering because, you know, we have melted families and we have so many diverse families going on that, you know, I want a little bit of this and I want a little bit of that and I got to take care of this family member and I want this. And, you know, I know one thing about your menus and your cooking style, you can certainly do that. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of being a teacher because, um, as you know, if you are if you try to be a good teacher, you want to research all the different types of cuisines, you want the dietary restrictions and, um, and the trends with that also, you know, which is, is different. So, um, it all goes into effect also. And then there's the fact that social media, you know, people see things that trend on social media that they've never heard of before that becomes popular. Now you want to try it. So where years ago, you know, you had your core items you want to get. You want to get baked beauty, you want to get meatballs and stuffed shells and macaroni and cheese and whatever else. Now you, you want to get Bria tacos and you want to get, you know, Thai curry, and you know, which is fine. But um, I, don't, I would never do a cuisine disrespect if I can't do it. So if I've done research for it and talked to a chef about it and tried some of the flavors and, you know, let them taste it, and then once I got the approval, then I will go for it. You know what, we can do this cuisine. Um, or, or part of that cuisine, not the whole thing, but a part of it. So I think it's just respecting the culture and the cuisines itself. I've always felt that way. One of the things that, as, you know, a person, as an educator and a food person, I don't touch 
it's very much Indian cuisine because it's so specific. It's so you know, focused on, you know, um, you know, very specific nuances. I mean, I can do basic things if somebody wants it that is not Indian, but when I get people, ah, oh, well, you know, we want to do an Indian wedding. Okay, so let me find an Indian caterer for you. And yeah, we'll exactly. Staff and facility and all no, that. that because, even the regions. I mean, you know, northern, um, you know, India versus southern, you know, versus mid-India, it's so much different from the region itself. Um, so, yeah, you're right. I mean, absolutely. But, but that's when I tried to become a student to them. You know, um, years ago, I used to be a sous chef at the Hills in Cherry Hill, where it was the hill. Now it's the Crown Plaza, I believe. And, um, you know, I was under a great chef named Darius Peacock, and that's my, like, chef mentor. And uh, he was a wonderful chef. But Indian weddings would come through, and an Indian caterer would come. And I'll be standing next to him to see what they're doing. You know, they're making the flatbreads over there, and the curries, and the chutneys, and, you know, the smells going through are, are crazy. And I was, like, excited about sitting next to him just watching, and they didn't kick me out of the kitchen. You know, so <laughs> that kind of stuff makes me excited. <laughs> Amaris? It's funny. It's sorry. I had myself muted just so that I wouldn't make any extra like noises. But um, it's funny that you say that because um, maybe I should have you collaborate with one of my other chef friends, Chetna, because like her whole thing is you know working with um, curries, Indian you know her her base is Indian food. Um, Yo, I love her. I love I love her. I love her. I love every bit of her. And uh, we're supposed to get together and do something. But I think she keeps exactly. standing me up. I'm feeling, I'm, I'm feeling kind of, you know, it's like high school again. She stood me up a little bit. So you tell her we're going to get together and do something. Exactly. Or maybe we could have you you and Chetna at Old City Kitchen. Yes, I'm with that. Oh, I love it. I love um, it. And I just threw out a whole bunch of things all at once to our listeners. But um, for our listeners who would like to find you online and in person, where can they currently find you? And for that matter, when are you planning on opening up um, the Wing Kitchen in, I believe, the Turnersville or is it the Glassboro location? Turnersville. So the Turnersville location we're going to open up in September. Um, and now we're going to do weekends, so Saturday and Sunday, getting ready for football and all the, the high school and college and NFL games and get all your goods. And if you've been missing Wing Kitchen for a long time and you need the fried donut and you're missing it and the garlic parm wings, we're going to open it up. We're going to do a bit. We're going to do some new flavors. We're going to do every weekend um, that I want you guys to try out and uh, give your feedback on. I'm excited. I've been in the lab for a few months now, which is kind of dangerous. When I get in the lab, I get serious. So I got a lot of big flavors coming up. Um, so that's going to be in September in Turnersville. Um, also, I'm working on some new concepts for the stadium. So I'm trying to get into, if you guys know anybody out there, Wells Fargo Center, we're trying to get into there, and Lincoln Financial um, Field also. Um, but I'm working on a concept called uh, Max Street Station. And uh, my mother, that uh, she just passed away um, a month ago, but she was a, a much better cook than I am. But she made some of the best macaroni and cheese on the planet. And I want to do a play on her macaroni and cheese that's loaded with all kind of international um, ingredients. So we're going to do a pop-up pretty soon for the union, and we're going to do um, a Korean barbecue, Philly cheesesteak mac and cheese, and uh, uh, it's going to be dynamite with like a kimchi aioli and all kind of good stuff. Uh, just keep an eye out for some good stuff. you got to follow me. You want some of these flavors, and uh, 
I'll put some different videos on TikTok so you guys check them out. But um, it's coming through. It's coming through big. It's going to be a big, uh, a big fall winter season, and I'm excited. So you heard that first, everybody. Follow Tim Witcher on all of his social medias for updates, and also find him at the Wing Kitchen. So Tim, at thank you so much. Exactly. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. You also, Chef. Thank you. All right. Until next time. All right. Peace. Much flavor. <laughs>To become a sponsor of our show and have your business or event promoted on every single podcast platform, two Philadelphia radio stations on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. evening drive time and FM station in New York, send us an email to either foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com or diningonadive at yahoo.com. Now. So, an absolute great pleasure to welcome our next guest to Food Farms and Chefs, Matthew Ackland from Matthew Ackland Selections, which is a wine purveyor and distributor here in America of some of the most unique boutique wines you'll ever find. But before we get into any of that, Matthew, tell us a little bit about your background. You have been the wine expert at some of the finest properties in the UK and America. Just absolutely fascinating history in wines. Tell us how it all started. Hello, Gina. So thank you very much. You're very kind as well um, to, to, to inflate me in that way. So thank you very much. I do appreciate it. Uh, so no, I've, uh, in, over the quite a few years now, it's probably about 15 years, of being in the the wine business, both in London and also in the U.S., um, I started as a as a delivery boy, actually, for a national chain called Oddbins. And Oddbins was um, it's it's not quite like Total Wines, but they had the number of stores nationwide in England. Uh, but the whole philosophy of Oddbins was that every month they would have new wines that you know, had never been in the UK market before, and they were known for bringing those in. And so you would go to Oddbins to go and get uh, wines that you just didn't have access to uh, anywhere else. And so I started there, and they very kindly paid for my WSET examinations. And then that led me to get headhunted by uh, Zuma, which, and if you're familiar, Zuma is is Nobu's competition. Um, it, it was, anyway, at least in London at that time. And um, this is before they'd opened in New York City. So now, obviously, they're, you know, back then, I think we were at 16 restaurants worldwide. And then um, now, I think there's 64 restaurants worldwide. But anyway, so Zuma's Japanese fusion. And I was very, very, very lucky to have uh, my mentor who, who hired me. Alessandro Marquezan, who's the group sommelier for Zuma. So then I had my induction, essentially, as a sommelier for a Michelin-starred restaurant in London, uh, and, and that was my, my, first, my first induction into, uh, into, into the hell's kitchen chaos of, of how elite restaurants work, and it was very, very exciting. 
Not many people described as exciting today, uh, except us, those of us that are addicts of this profession and things like that. But yes, it's a you know a wonderful industry with so many nuances. And you've come up with, you know, you came out as one of the, you know, real elegant, sophisticated. I don't even know the word that I want to use to pull out of here. But, you know, handling of the wines and the spirits and the beverages for a restaurant has always been that position that has been kind of looked up to. So it's a very unique situation with, you know, even those of us and the chefs and the wine cooks and, you know, the apprentices, we always kind of looked up to some of ways and you know, said, wow, you know, I want to be that someday. How did that get you over here to America? Well, that's a very, very good question, sir. And, and it's interesting you, you brought that up because I was actually thinking about this this morning. Um, in London at the time, the, the position of sommelier wasn't as grandiose as it is now. And I don't mean that with a negative connotation. I just mean in terms of the, um, the emphasis being on the sommelier and the sommelier selection versus the actual wines themselves. Uh, back then, the the wineries took the the pole position on wine lists, and that's really how the UK market is structured. It's it's um, it, it's sort of uh, you know old partnerships, if you like, with uh, five six hundred years maybe with merchant families that have been in the importation industry in England uh, for that period of time. They probably have some kind of family alliance with Chateau X in Bordeaux or Burgundy producers, Champagne houses for sure. Um, and, uh, and that's really the, the kind of exposure that, that one had in, in, in England at the time. You knew the producer, and the producer stood at the front of the, of the wine list. As the industry evolved and the idea of sommelier uh, started to evolve a little bit more, the U.S. was really at the forefront of, of bringing the position sommelier, which, which means wine steward in the French, um, especially in the feudal structure in France, uh, bringing wine steward to the forefront and actually being about the sommelier's expression or interpretation of a wine list per restaurant and the cuisine that they're offering. So um, the move was I actually had an opportunity to open Zuma's New York location uh, when they were going to open in New York in Manhattan, but they didn't get the permission for many years and my um, my wife at the time, uh, she she was uh, she is an American citizen, and so we've been married for more than three years. So I automatically had access to um, a ten-year green card in the U.S. So my application was rather smooth. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't difficult. I was very lucky to have that. But I initially came to the U.S. to work for Zuma in New York, and then that didn't pan out. But what ended up happening, uh, again, you know, by, by fate, was that I got the opportunity to work with um, uh, Sergio Epicito, who owns Italian wine merchants in Union City in New York, sorry, Union Square in New York, rather. And, uh, and I had my first, you know, uh, first job in the US working for Sergio. And then out of that, I moved to Burgundy Wine Company as a, as a broker, as a consultant on Burgundy wines. And my wine knowledge was very thin because the UK market is nowhere near as broad as the US market in terms of the range of wines that you find here, the expressions. And so I really was, was getting a massive re-education. 
And uh, for a few years thereafter, I, I moved to Connecticut and I did something up there in wine and uh, had this wonderful, um, uh, wonderful exposure in the market with different distributors who had different products. And then it wasn't until the end of 2014, beginning of 2015, when I got appointed the wine director at BLT Prime in Gramercy in, in uh, New York City. And I took over there and I was there for about a year and I won my Wine Spectator Award there by putting the, the list together. And, um, and it was fantastic. And I really got to experience the jewels, if you like, from California, these gems that you just, I'd never heard of or seen before. And, and all these, uh, all these expressions that sort of um, uh, are either such small production that they're constantly sold out per vintage, or they just don't export. So, you know, coming from England, we wouldn't have had access to them. Um, but from that point, that's when I got my ticket to go into the wholesale side of the industry, which I was really more suited for. And, uh, and I started working with uh, Mark Snyder at uh, Angel Share Wines in New York City, and Mark is known for having the finest Californian uh, portfolio, probably on the East Coast, actually, and, um, and, and is wonderful, a wonderful experience working with him and his producers, uh, selling Dunn Vineyards and Grace Family Wines and all these wonder Coho Wines and, and the Flanagan Wines, which we now represent down in Pennsylvania, Burley Wines as well. It was a really wonderful experience. And uh, I did that. I worked with him for about a year and a half. So that, that's in a sort of a broad answer. That's the sort of progression to coming to the U.S. Um, and then uh, it got to a point where I really wanted more. And this is essentially what I came to the U.S. for is um, life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Um, I'm a citizen now, so I can I can I can say that I subscribe to to this vision. Uh, and uh, anyway, so I, I decided that uh, I, I had to go somewhere else. The jobs at the time that were on offer in the wholesale business were sort of hovering around the same. You know, you work 75 hours a week, maybe you'll make 75,000 a year. And it, it didn't work for me. And a very, very good neighbor of mine, uh, Ramon, he was from Barcelona. He was a, uh, a designer for Chanel. This is in New York City. And he, he said to me, we're having lunch one day, and he said, you have to open your own company. He said, I've got a friend who sells $2 million of, uh, worth of wine a year to Costco. That's all he does. And he has his own company, his own permit. He goes, you can do it yourself. You'll make more margins. You'll make more money. And you'll work less uh, eventually. He said, you've got to go and do it. That night, I filed for my federal permit. I already had a company set up. And originally, Matthew Acton Selections was a consultancy firm. We weren't, uh, we weren't uh, you know, going to be a wine importer or anything. And, um, you know, by, by design, I, I, was, I was given advice by a liquor attorney that I should open in Pennsylvania. And, and you know, that, that couldn't have been any greater um, uh, piece of advice than what it ended up turning out to be, because this now defined the entire business, the success of the business that we've had by being down here in Pennsylvania um, and being able to do this. So that's, that's how we began. That's how we started. Well, you have a very unique business philosophy that pulls upon some old uh, Asian Japanese philosophies that really carries over into your selection and you know you utilize and where you pull your wine from. You explain to our listeners of food farms and chefs a little bit about your unique style and what you do to select 
particular vineyards and particular producers. Absolutely. So we, we, this comes from my experience in Zuma in London. Uh, the emphasis on oat uh, Japanese fusion, Japanese cuisine, um, and the prestige. I remember being taught how to make sushi by Chef Yoshi. Um, I forget his last name. It was many years ago. But it was Chef Yoshi, I remember, who didn't speak any English, and it was great. He just showed us how to do it. But it's the meticulous nature of Japanese culture that I was always very, very drawn to. Um, and uh, basically, the, the philosophy is chawa. And in Japanese, it means tranquility, peace, harmony, balance, essentially. Uh, anything with wa at the end of it, konnichiwa, uh, means you come in peace, essentially. Peace, balance, tra- uh, harmony, tranquility. So the philosophy of chawa is that as a wine importer, we, we, we use this when procuring uh, wineries or new vendor partners that we wish to work with. A lot of wines that you find in the market tend to be um, unbalanced in a certain way. There's either a lot of acidity, scorching acidity, and, and as, a, as a wine professional, uh, as a professional importer, I know why that scorching acidity exists. It's one of two things. Either the winery is adding tartaric acid, which is a synthetic acid, to acidify the wine. Perhaps there's too much residual sugar in the must when they go to press it, so they need to balance out and make a dry wine. They add uh, um, tartaric acid and acidify the wine to make it acidic uh, for the end result. Or the other, uh, the other alternative, essentially, um, uh, is that the pressing was too aggressive and the phenolic acids from the, the pits have actually been crushed as well and that provides more acidity in the, in the finished product. This is more for white wine. And um, so we're looking for balance, essentially. Uh, the problem with food and wine pairing that we commonly run into is that uh, you have to find the, the perfect components uh, that the, the match together and obviously marry all of the different factors of, of uh, the richness of food. For example, if you have you know, a lot of fat, uh, if you have a lot of oil, you have a lot of spice, you have a lot of, um, you know, uh, you have a lot of um, protein, for example. Uh, all these different components molecularly need to be balanced out. And it's really not as simple as saying, great, a high acid wine goes with cheese because there's more fat. That's a very elementary overview. It's way more complex than all of that. And it takes years of experience to really understand uh, which wines are going to pair with certain foods. So this is where Chawa comes into it. So we're looking for earth, water, air, and fire. And then the last part is fermentation. And I first learned about this. There's a, a wonderful uh, food journalist, uh, Dr. Michael Pollan. And um, he's, he's a New York Times bestseller. And I met him at Yale um, when I lived up in Connecticut. He did a wonderful lecture on uh, kimchi. He had studied kimchi in South Korea for many, many years. And he was talking about the, the perfect harmony, balance within food uh, pairing is earth, water, air, fire, and fermentation. That's how we really need to balance our plates per meal. So it's interesting, that sort of that coupled with my experience in Zuma kind of uh, pushed us forward into thinking, okay, well, there's a lot of truth in all of this. This is the problem that we run up against as an importer, as a distributor. We, we want to work with elite restaurants. 
Uh, we work with many different restaurants that have many different cuisines, many different signature dishes, many different styles, many different chefs that obviously do different things. So how do you, how do you make a product um, uh, speak in this, in, this, in this case to a majority of accounts and, and how can we be more utilitarian across the board? The answer is very simple. We look for wines that have just a little bit more natural residual sugar in the grapes. And what we're looking for essentially is we're looking for balance. We're not looking for alcohol necessarily. We're just looking for low acidity and we're not looking for bitter tannins. We're looking for a very smooth style of wine uh, that you would normally find in bistros when you go to Europe, for example, or down to Argentina, um, Buenos Aires, you know, if you sit at a, you know, sort of a, a bistro sort of setting down, down there, very, or tang, any of the tango halls, etc., you get Malbec that is very, very, very smooth and soft and silky, uh, and it costs a, it costs a dollar uh, per glass, which is incredible. But that's the style. When we export wine to the U.S., we have to stabilize the wine, and that's where the adjustments come into place, and that is where you know the um, uh, the, the wines are they're a little bit rougher and coarser around the edges in order to survive the um, the volatile temperature changes on the water and the aggressive nature of shipping. So what we're looking for is we're looking for something very authentic that, that uh, tastes as it does in Europe or South America, uh, wherever we import from, uh, you know, and, and when it lands in the U.S., it's going to be that fresh and it's going to be that balanced and it's going to be that aromatic. So one of the things you touched on here, and, you know, as we're getting short on time, is about pairing. You are going to be available for a class at Old City Kitchen in the very near future on wine pairing. Uh, you know, when is that? Are tickets still available? And uh, how can people, you know, come and, and meet you? And so we are um, we're doing this on the the twenty uh, eighth of uh, July, and um, this is. Uh, uh, forgive me, sorry, it's the 30th of July, forgive me. Uh, the 30th of July, and it's from 7 p.m., and this is at Old City Kitchen. Old City Kitchen is directly next door to our offices. We're at 222 Market. They're, on, uh, they're next door, 218. And basically, um, this is limited to 12 seats. So uh, I believe, we, we, as of today, we have tickets available. But this is going to be very exciting because we're working with Chef Michelle there. And essentially, she's come up with an eight-course pairing to our wines. And we're not advertising which wines we're actually um, going to be exhibiting, but uh, these wines are a broad range of different uh, producing regions. So we have Austria, Serbia, Argentina. Uh, we have Chile as well, uh, Italy also. Um, very, very exciting. And the, uh, the event is basically going to touch a little bit more on, again, the complexities of food and wine pairing. And also, uh, we're going to go into a little bit more depth on uh, blind tasting as well and the, the art of doing that. That's sort of a little bit more of a bonus uh, addition there. But there is a, um, there is a, a very sensual um, uh, nature of food and wine tasting that comes into play when the mind is fully focused and you can actually focus on detecting these tasting notes rather than the academic approach, which can sometimes not really, you know, sort of fit into the 
the whole the broader gamut of of understanding what to detect when you're you're smelling the the wonderful aromas of wine in a glass um and that's it and that's what we're going to do and i know that i've seen the menu and chef michelle's got some very exciting things on there um and you know we're very excited to, to be part of that so how can our listeners find out a little bit about your business uh you have a website social media uh, and yes, with, with us, we, we are, uh, sorry, Gene, not to interrupt, just to add, we're, we're a, a wine importer and distributor, so we sit in the, the shadows of our federal three-tier system. We're not a retailer, so obviously we don't work directly right. with, with consumers. Um, we sell exclusively to restaurants. We don't work with um, the, the liquor control board here through Fine Wines and Good Spirits. Our product is special liquor order only, but it's, it's reserved for the restaurants. For this event only, we are opening up our products to be uh, purchased by uh, attendees at the actual tasting, at the event themselves. Um, but in general, we only work with restaurants. We're, we're on the wholesale tier. But in order to find out about this event, it's... Uh, sorry, Gene, go ahead. And I know that our listeners can find out by going to... Old City Call or Old City Kitchen dot com, uh, or you know, going to the Facebook page for Old City Kitchen, one of the best cooking class locations in the city of Philadelphia. And I know for me, I am going online right after this and getting a seat. So, thank you very much. Thank you, Matthew. It has been a great pleasure. We will have you back again because we want to touch on things like your Serbian connection, one of the, you know, few regions in the world that, that do not have a lot of importers that you're working with, also some of your Italian things, and really just talk wines and spirits, and I have a feeling that we could spend countless hours having this conversation. So it was a great <laughs> pleasure having you on Food Farms and Chefs. Thank you, everybody. OldCityKitchen.com. Go on, buy your tickets now. Come out and meet Matthew. If it worse, you get to drink wine with a man that has an amazing British accent. Thank you, Gene. You're very, very kind. PhillyRestaurantReviews.com for all the information about the show. You can reach you can reach me at ibfoodie2 or at gblum or email me directly at ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com. Have a free one, eat, drink, and be married.